Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2023. Poor Things. Poor Things. Best picture. Did you watch it with Brian? No. Come on. Not. <laughs> no. You said that I should and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Why did you say that I should? I don't know. It was just, it was such a curious experience. You wouldn't think that it would be uncomfortable to watch a movie, any kind of movie with your partner, unless it mirrors, you know, your real life disharmony or something. And I, I really <laughs> hope that nobody was like, that movie, Poor Things, was about us. And you never appreciated my child brain and my body. I don't know, man. Like, it was just weird that it was so uncomfortable and yet couldn't relate to my in that movie did you watch it with kelly yes and we had within five minutes she was like this is not what i was expecting from this movie and i was like nor i was it just like awkward thick silence that you could cut with a knife well it evolved obviously and the stages of awkward at the beginning the end were different from the beginning and it was a crazy seven and a half hour ride that I couldn't remember who I was at the beginning of this movie by the time it finished. <laughs> this was the worst abuse of a child's brain in an adult's body since the skeleton key. My mind is working. That's the deepest cut ever. Remember when the kids' consciousness by Mama Cecile and Papa Justify were transferred to the old slaves who were then hung? Oh, right. <laughs> right. The kids were murdered. Right. I mean, you have to really understand what's happening in the very convoluted p plot of the skeleton key to, <laughs> to actually get that. <laughs> but it's true. Did you understand what was happening in the not convoluted plot of Poor Things? Did I understand what was happening? Look, sure. I, I thought about it. And it, were there a synopsis for this movie? I can see maybe what the allure would be from the director of The Lobster and The Favorite. This was a child's brain transferred to an adult woman's body. Also her mother's body. She learns about sex and love and philosophy. And while dealing with the oppressive patriarchy who seeks to bed her or something. And you can say, okay, well, that's Capture a, her. That's a premise that could be worked by a select group of filmmakers. High concept, people might say. Uh, right. And you then you give it to Yorgos Lanthimos and you're like, OK, well, where's the angle? And he's like, it's going to be crazy. And you just, <laughs> I don't know, man, it went. I couldn't have imagined like I, I, it took me probably 90 minutes to get my footing in this movie. Oh, that's a good chunk of time. But you stuck with those 90 minutes. Oh, yeah. I wrote down so many alternate titles that I didn't even bother introducing myself as one of those alternate titles at the top of this episode. All right. Well, give me your top three. It was like a goth I Love Lucy. It was like it was like her. It was like Lucy playing a foreign character, like something she knows nothing about. You know, like when she's all all, all wacky. Uh, then as it and went Lucy on. Lucy is really childlike. 
right? A lot of times. Especially uh-huh. when she adopts those personas or when she's like hypnotized. Mm-hmm. At one point, for mm-hmm. some reason, I wrote down it was like an Edwardian Resident Evil. Like there was oh. sci- science going on, but not. And it seemed like a horror, like a horror movie. Then I wrote down Sucky Horror Picture Show. Um, <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. As opposed to Rocky. But why Sucky? Because this movie kind of sucked for me for for the vast oh. majority of it. Um, I would go oh. with instead maybe Yucky Horror Picture Show might be better. <laughs> um, Triangle of Badness. I looked it up. That's not the same director. I know, but it could be. It, could, it had very much had a Triangle of Sadness vibe to it. Steampunk Willy, if Willy meant penis. <laughs> Just all going through life like do-do-do-do-do. Right? Um, pretty Moron. <laughs> Uh, is that a play on another title? Pretty like Pretty Woman, Forest Hump. Oh come, come on. on, no, that's just wrong. But it had yeah. that Robert Eggers just kind of stank to it. Yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> Which was gross. probably embodied by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, it was definitely the Wim- Willem Dafoe bridge uh, crossover. The Willem Dafoe stank. Thing. Who are the poor things? Or what are the poor things? I think if we're gonna keep it simple, we can go with Harry Business. Yeah. Furious Jumping or Pretty Retard. Yeah. When Max McCandles comes right out with that, I was like, ooh, is he allowed to say that? Well. I guess in this world. Right? Because this was an alternate reality. It wasn't even like this is our concept of science in Percy Shelley's time or in in, uh, Mary Shelley's time. Oh, you know, this is what mad scientists do. They transfer brains between them. They assemble bodies or whatever. This was a decidedly steampunk alternate future reality past galaxy long time ago thing the only reason that i'm i was trying to figure it out is because i was trying to process the seismic shift in my movie reviewing or discussing career that this caused that that poor things caused this is when i've kind of understood that maybe a generation of filmmakers is like bob dylan says i have to get out of the new one the new road if i can't lend a hand because the times they are a changing People love this movie. The Golden Globes love this movie. Critics, audiences, and for movies that are trying to push buttons, like this year's Saltburn, I can understand those things. I did not understand poor things. The whole time I was watching it, I was like, this is at the very least a bad movie. And apparently I am wrong. And I'm afraid that this is the moment I will look back on and think this is when I lost it. This is when I felt like I was no longer appropriate to discuss these things. I was no longer qualified. Mark Ruffalo is 55 years old, and he said he needed to go for it, that he never believed he was right for this role, that he thought he was mucking it up, that he was having crises of confidence on set. And he was just like, I'm going to blow this. But look, if I'm going to blow it, let me do it in spectacular style. I don't need I don't care anymore. I don't need to care. And so I have to take risks. Well, I think Mark Ruffalo is keystone to Poor Things and understanding it as a film. Because my alternative title for Poor Things was Austin Powers and the Poor Things. (laughs) And Austin Powers, of course, refers to Mark Ruffalo's Duncan Wedderburn character. I think when I understood that this was a parody, although I don't know of what, per se, (laughs) then it started to make sense to me. Does that make sense to you? Harry Business and the Poor Things. 
<laughs> this is not intended to be taken seriously. When were they going to tell me that? I mean, just the the complete like craziness of the premise, maybe? Was it when he was like, we take the brain from the child and put it into the woman and she lives? That was my Willem Dafoe. Still. <laughs> that was pretty good. Right? But it's like it's like Barbie limb transfers or something. And you're like, okay. And like I literally turned to Kelly Ray during the watch of the screening of this movie and I was like, we're going with the he gave her the infant's brain. That's the storyline we're going with. And we were trying to rationalize <laughs> yep. it. That was your clue. Right. <laughs> exactly. Clue. And she was like, you know, that baby could have survived. She might have died, but the baby they could have said they didn't need to transfer the baby's brain into the mom's body as a method of saving its well, life or her life any more than. Well, oh God. obviously, Kelly Ray doesn't have a scientific mind because <laughs> it's obvious that that's what you should do once you have this particular scenario presented to you, at least according to Dr. Baxter. Yeah, I need to swap out her mind for a scientific mind that I find on the street somewhere. It's just that easy, apparently. <laughs> Any more than it was well, rational that Dr. Puzzlepiece couldn't have been saved by transferring his brain to the young, able-bodied husband's body. But no, were we supposed to think that that's where it was going? Or we were we supposed to think that the whole the whole nope. time, obviously, he's going to get the the goat, not that his brain would be transferred into the goat's body, that Doctor Puzzlepiece's brain would be transferred into the young man's body. But what we got was so bizarre and off that it had to be deliberate. You thought that he was going to become like the pig chicken, or. Something or you thought when Willem Dafoe is dying, the obvious strategy, given that she knows all the ins and outs of brain transfers, that she give him a new young body, mm. that of the husband. So in a perverted kind of way, that couple stays together. The original father and mother couple that produced a child's brain. And then the idiot, his brain gets transferred into a goat. <laughs> Why didn't that happen? Oh, not Max. No. The stupid husband who was introduced so late stage that it was bizarre that he was the comic payoff for the ending. You you mean Alfie Blessington, not Max McCandles, the one that was controlling and that she left in the first place. Well, by left, you mean jumped off a bridge to escape? But you said when you said Mark Ruffalo was the key to understanding poor things, I thought you were going to suggest that if one were not on board with Mark Ruffalo's interpretation of the Duncan character, one wouldn't understand or grasp the movie the way it was intended. You and I have had issues differing opinions of Mark Ruffalo since the very beginning. I've been a fan of that dude long before Marvel, back from You Can Count On Me, what, 1999. And you were like, eh, Mark Ruffalo, maybe not all that. He definitely plays detestable and, and not at all likable. I don't think he was right for this, but that's in my realistic mind kind of, it's a stupid fantasy. That's not where my brain is for this. He sounds dumb trying to affect the accent, his manner of speaking. He's the dumbest person I, I, in a long that I can remember on film. And I'm, I don't think his performance worked. It never didn't feel fake to me. Did it not feel Austin Powers to you? Well, it, it never felt real to me. No, uh, I don't know if uh, what you mean. Does Austin is, is Austin Powers supposed to be? <laughs> it's a caricature. Emma Stone as an infant <laughs> felt more real to me than Mark Ruffalo in this movie. And maybe the people who understand because critics 
loved this movie. Everybody who interviewed him said he was amazing in this part and he was wrong when he talked about how his confidence really suffered during this process. Well, you were wrong because you were amazing. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. It's silly. And I, I can't... <laughs> Looking at it through as a as a farce, like a comedy kind of lens, maybe it it makes more, it tracks better. But where, how is this a good movie? You're asking me to justify and defend poor things. Oh, God. Sorry, barking up the wrong tree. Oh, this is Yorgos Lanthimos's first movie, I think, where he uses a musical score, and this music made me nauseous. Like I was so annoyed with the music and it's drawing some accolades as well. If this isn't the best score of a movie, I'll be sorely disappointed. Some paraphrasing some some reviewers. What was it that you didn't like about the score? Like a, a persistently discordant sort of synth hellscape. And this was clunky and I couldn't tell if it was meant to be aggravating. The score seemed as carefully constructed as her choreography, as her dance moves. I cannot imagine someone came and said, okay, now you're going to jump, jump, jump around and flip your arms up like this. I think she just kind of did it, right? Something instinctual about it. In but also not good. I think it was choreographed because it was because they're dancing together. So I have to grasp in Poor Things what showed the mark of a careful filmmaker. He had opinions and everything was very specifically stylized. And the only thing that I can really grasp, answering my own question of what, what could possibly make Poor Things a good movie, is her evolution from being a simpleton in every way I can conceive of to being more eloquent, to assuming she could take the reins from her creator, I guess, as a medical professional capable of brain transplants. They went through five sure. distinct stages where she was dumb and then not so dumb and she became more eloquent. Her vocabulary and her and her syntax snapped into place. But her dumbness, not just because it was mentally a child like a toddler's age, but didn't you think that her speech patterns and the words she adopted were not right? Not they didn't feel authentic. They felt silly. Like the fact that she used, like, polites well into her maturation. Okay. I did it for the polites. Uh. I mean, I don't know. Kids are weird because they don't have context. <laughs> and I found her speech to be childlike. I don't know. Bean mixes up yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's awfully cute, though. I mean, yeah, because she's four. Whereas, I mean, it's a full fledged adult at least in appearance it's unsettling and kind of weird you have to fill in a, a, a comic strips bubble with words so what are those words going to sound like to make her sound infantile it just it didn't seem real and maybe there was no expectations on the part of the filmmakers for poor things to make it seem real to my mind you know what i got hung up on the hair. Why did it grow two inches every week or so? By the end, her hair extensions were four feet long, unnaturally black, which was an accident. They were going to give her a brownish natural hair color, and they messed up the coloring, and it was jet black, and they were like, it kind of works. It adds to the surrealism. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's real. But it fit into a poor things universe. And also, who was dressing her? I don't know. Babies don't wake up and dress themselves, so I assume that someone was dressing her 
And maybe that was her dad slash creator's interpretation of what a young woman should wear. (sighs) But someone had to have a very specific and distinct style that they were going for for her. You can't say. That could have been haute couture in whatever world she lived in, whatever steampunk world she lived in. No, it was just for style and to set some kind of visual tone that was pretty consistent. I mean, they were pretty consistently exaggeratedly dressed with the puffy sleeves and stuff like that, and like the millennial eyebrows. They're just going for a thing. It doesn't have to be explained or rationalized. And there it is. That is the mindset one must enter poor things with and then sustain that mindset for a full two and a half hours. Every time I look at that picture of Emma Stone, I'm like, why does she look so weird? Is it the pale face? (laughs) Is it just the eyebrows and otherwise she looks like normal Emma Stone? You remember that magnetic toy because we're old in the 80s where you take the little pen and it picks up the metal shavings and you like put a beard and stuff on that that dude with the bulb nose? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like someone did that for Emma Stone and used all the metal shavings for eyebrows. (laughs) Oh, and the hair. Don't forget the hair. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be unsettling. Everyone's supposed to be unsettling in this. I mean, Dr. Baxter's face is is deformed because his presumably his father performed experiments on him and stuff but it's never explained never explained her wardrobe and her hair choices never explained look you know it's zany when willem dafoe is the straight man in this movie when he's like the most rational sensible and calm <laughs> do you consider yourself a sophisticated moviegoer i consider myself a moviegoer that requires a level of realism so as to be transportive into the world of this movie to make me believe that things are real and thus for me to for, to have an emotional response i require things to be grounded and identifiable except when if it's so fanciful that you're not expecting me to i mean for look for awards contenders i feel like it has to be more real this is aside from emma stone and and mark ruffalo and and willem dafoe all having participated in big budget action movies in the marvel universe those movies like i understand for what they are and i and i can suspend disbelief but i thought that poor things for lack of a better term would be serious and in a way that's what i require for movies that i consider to be good and and the good movies that I love, that I have connections with as an, as an adult, with not an infant's brain, is that they, maybe consistency is the best this movie can offer me. It evolves, but I'm not sure it's enough. Do you consider yourself a prude? Did you find poor things to be distasteful? Um, not distasteful. And that was something I wondered about for Kelly Ray. And she said it was, this one was interesting. And I was like, really? Because it wasn't that I'm like challenged by Emma Stone being naked or the fact that she finds her self-worth as, what are we calling her? A hooker? Not a hooker. As a... An escort? Well, she didn't escort people anywhere except into her vagina, like a courtesan kind of thing, right? But okay, sure. What I what I was thinking was really this is the movie because she had concerns in the favorite. That's the other Yorgos Lanthimos movie where she showed a boob. She shows a lot more than a boob in this. And Olivia Coleman was like, mm, "Consider if this is what you want to do, because once you go boob, you you can't go back." 
And then she did it. And I was like, this is the movie? Poor Things is the one she's going to get butt naked for? Okay. <laughs> but when the pervs screen cap this movie and post Emma Stone nudie pictures online or whatever, are people going to be like, oh, yeah, Poor Things. That was hot. Like... I wondered if when she got back, when she, when Bella Baxter went back to her husband and his daughter's brain is in her head, I was like, oh my God, is he going to bone his daughter? And then he didn't. And that was the only bit of restraint that I can think of that they showed in Poor Things, that they didn't, he didn't actually copulate with the brain of his infant child. Do you find this movie to be excessively bold? Does it bother you because it's form over function? That is the most concise summation of poor things. Form over function. But this movie seemed to just go nonstop. Like it was, if she had reservations before about nudity, those were out the window. It makes the favorite look tame, like a made for TV Hallmark movie. <laughs> And I remember before watching The Favorite, seeing a glimpse of mom and dad watching it and thinking, this looks stupid. He used the walleye lenses and black and white and people were screaming and running around in period costumes and stuff. There's not a frame in Poor Things that looks like a normal movie. Right. Well, there was the fisheye with the matting, with the spotlight for some reason, which gives us this distinctly voyeuristic point of view. And then intercutting that with kind of more traditional medium close-up extreme close-up was just unsettling so i think visually it's intended to keep us not on our toes <laughs> but like off kilter yes off our like toes yeah how non-traditional were those transitions right i think that this is a very simple story that the filmmakers attempt to elevate with hyper stylized filmmaking choices when it comes down to it, yeah, there's this high concept idea of take the brain of a child and put it in an adult and see how it matures and also how people perceive it, right? It's all, it's most, the, most of the tension and awkwardness comes from people assuming that she should behave one way or the other without understanding that she has an infantile brain. And then she goes through and she explores all of the wonders of life, right? Of discovering sex and sec her sexuality, discovering food and then finding the Epicurean lifestyle to be devoid of meaning and then she grows a conscience and she learns about poor people and her helplessness around it like it's supposed to be the beauty and the wonders of life delivered in these not so pretty or tidy packages and then somehow elevated through style which which maybe is is masking or is making up for the fact that it's otherwise a pretty simplistic story. And we can track those things. I can admire those things where from the outset, my favorite part, she's like, I have to go punch that baby. And then later on in Alexand <laughs> like, in Alexandria. Amen, sister. Right. But then she's now she feels for the babies in Alexandria. And she's like horrified at the idea that these poor babies might be, you know, starving or, or malnourished or whatever. And we track her the evolution of her conscience and her awareness of uh, of what's happening around her. It was a simplistic story, I guess, but it's almost like they were trying to compensate, but it could have been kept simpler across the board. Like as producers, you and I can look at that movie and be like, we could have saved some money right there. That didn't need to be quite so excessive. 
Did, did it add to the story, the transitions? I get that production value is a thing, but did it add to the story itself to have the Zeppelins and the the Skyway cars and the steampunk, the costumes, did they add to the, did they make it better or did they make it more opulent and act as a color or, or a distraction to what was otherwise a fairly simple theme? Yeah, I think it was kind of a distraction, but I also think that it was an attempt at creating a world where these events are possible, where the science fiction is possible, where the fashion is possible, and where a Bella Baxter character can kind of stumble through life, I don't know, without <laughs> without regulation, without being put into a, a sane asylum or put into a hospital or where she can become a, a courtesan without reserve. I don't know. I think it was attempt, it was attempt to, cr- to create a world where these things, where this story could be plausible. And I think that there are lots and lots of people who go to the movies and want exactly that world. That's not me, man. And I wonder that these people are going to be running the country one day, but I, it doesn't matter. I'll be dead by then. And there's some comfort in that thought. Emma Stone is an Academy Award-winning filmmaker. Mark Ruffalo, I've been a fan of his for a quarter of a century. Still, Poor Things is not the movie I would have envisioned for these people in 2024, and I would have thought, oh, like Mark Ruffalo thought when he got the script, I'm not sure if this is a good idea, and I was wrong, and he was wrong, and everyone else is right. What's up with that? Are you just old? Yeah, but it felt desperate. That's what this discussion feels like. I feel like I leaned into the (laughs) microphone and got loud and changed my tone of voice because I'm scared. I don't understand. I'm like a Bella Baxter baby head and this world is the squirrel and I have no nut. It's just changing under your feet as we speak. And I don't like it. All right. IMDb featured reviews, nine stars, manifestation of life. What life? What, what the life where? On other planets? Nine stars, an impeccably awkward, satirical adventure into absurdity. So you can say that, but absurd is like abstract. Absurd can mean anything. And abstract, is that inherently talent evident? Is it funny? Is it clever? Is it aware? Or is it what you project? I think absurd is a masking word for disorganized, chaotic, and confusing. Nine stars. Unforgivingly bizarre and chaotic, but endearing. And maybe that is the connection that this person forged with this movie, because it is bizarre. What was the other adjective? Bizarre and chaotic. Chaotic, absolutely. That's the overall effect, when in fact, apparently, it was very carefully and deliberately constructed. Lots of choices were made, and then there was much adherence to those convictions throughout in order to get a movie like this made. Last one, nine stars. A film, not a movie. Powerful, discomforting, unique, splendidly difficult, and high craft throughout. The only telling word in that entire discussion, in that review, was splendidly, which suggests that they liked it. (laughs) And I think it's because people feel like they're supposed to like it. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is challenging. But I feel like people are supposed to like it. They They feel they're supposed to like it, and so they do. That's not enough for me. I can appreciate poor things as a secure as a satirical, again, I don't know of what, dark comedy, I guess of life, of the life that we know it, but in an alternate universe, 
I don't connect with it. I didn't connect with it. I found it to be kind of relentless and uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know. I don't need like uplifting feel good. I mean, I just, I want something that's not going to repel me, (laughs) but that I can connect to. Oh man. And that's us (laughs) being old. I'm giving it a whatever. Come at me, bro. Can't get behind it because I can't justify it because I'm old. And there you have it. The most alternative titled movie in or whatever movie's history you got a whatever from Wes and a boring from Iris that's our discussion on poor things available in theaters now if you've listened to this discussion it's likely that you've seen this movie in which case you have something to say about it so let us know what that might be 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com thank you for listening and we'll see you next time Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.